Matthew 11, verse 25, to the end of the chapter. Pray briefly and then we'll begin. Matthew 11, verse 25, I'm reading from the ESV version. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labour on a heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do indeed come to you this morning as needy children. Children before a gracious Father in heaven. Even as we can approach your throne of grace because of the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on our behalf. I pray this morning that you would, by your Holy Spirit, reveal Christ to us that we would indeed come to him, that we would love him, that we would be yoked to him, that we would follow him. I pray that you would encourage the weak, awaken uh, the backsliding, and save the lost, and do it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm, I'm sure uh, most of us give and receive invitations uh, a lot. I mean, I just invited you to come this evening for the evening service. Um, invitations to, to come for dinner or for a party. Invitations to gather with family and friends. Um, uh, invitation maybe to... I've got two free tickets for a Chelsea match in a couple of weeks. I don't, I don't but that would be a nice invitation to have, right? Um, but invitations, they can be general invitations... Or, or they can be personal, especially when someone speaks to you and asks you directly something. And in fact, it's part of Christian hospitality, isn't it, to offer invitations to others. We can be very casual and say, oh, we've got an open house, uh, come whenever. But it's sometimes nice to have a specific invitation, a, a personal invitation. They're good to receive. And Sometimes you even get a fancy card, don't you? A wedding invitation, perhaps. And at the end, it says, what does it say? RSVP. Responde si vous plaît. And it's only polite then to reply to that invitation. And here in the text today are, are some of Jesus' most famous words. And he gives an invitation that is, is both general and personal. His words here were spoken in time and and space to people, to actual people. And these, these people, these original hearers, would have, would have been people maybe that, that have heard this unforgettable sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. We see that sermon in, in Matthew 5 and beyond. People who had, had, had maybe seen him raise the dead, uh, seen miracles and, and, and healings. Uh, these were words spoken to people who were in unrest and upheaval, uh, looking for a Messiah who would bring them peace in troubled times. So they were spoken to real people back then, and yet these are the words of our now risen Saviour, 
Jesus Christ. And so they echo, if you like, they echo down the centuries as he speaks personally to every one of us today. So friends, I submit to you, this, this is the most important invitation that you will ever receive. I want every one of you today, every one of you, young or old, to hear the voice of Jesus say, come to me, come to me. In verse 27, if you look, Jesus reveals that God the Father has given all things into his hands. And after he rises from the dead, at the end of the gospel, according to Matthew, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, when someone in authority called you to come, maybe the king says, come here, a, a commanding officer, a boss at work, a policeman, your mother or your father, when someone in authority calls you to come, you would be in serious trouble if you ignored their words. But it's particularly grieving when the one who calls you to, to come loves you so much, can fulfill your deepest needs, is so full of wisdom, intends to only do you good, and is God himself. Do we think we know better than to turn away? And so this is a, an authoritative invitation from Jesus. Authoritative invitation. And you just need to see the heart behind Jesus' words. In verse 25, I thank you, Father. I thank you, Father. You see, Jesus is full of joy. He's keen to invite people to himself. He's keen to invite you to himself today. It's his great desire to, to, to give pleasure to his people and to take their burdens from them. He is the good shepherd. Remember the parable of the lost sheep and how the shepherd goes to look for, for, for the one in a hundred and what is his response on finding the sheep? Joy. Joy. That's Jesus' spirit. Joy. He's a shepherd who wants to carry his sheep home. Now these words here before us today have been traditionally called in the church the comfortable words of the Lord Jesus Christ. The comfortable words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, not all of his words are comfortable. A few verses earlier, in verses 20 to 24, we see that he pronounces woes. Woes on those who won't repent. Woe to you, Cherazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. These are people who won't repent, who won't turn to the Lord. These are quite uncomfortable words. But, but these words before us today are, are comfortable in a biblical sense. They, they're words that, that give strength for weakness. They give hope for despair. Words that tell you that Jesus alone can make the Heavenly Father known to you. As he says, come to me. He says, come to me. He's saying, unburden your needs upon me. I can give you rest in restlessness. The question is, are you restless today? Do you come here out of a busy week, a busy life, a difficult life? Are you restless? Are you anxious? Do you lack peace and security? Are you tired? How's your body feeling today? I had a scan on my knee the other week. I saw the specialist and my knee's so shot to pieces. I, I can't even play a game of football anymore. You know? We're all limping at some point through life and 
I guess praying for our resurrection bodies at times. Are you burdened in conscience today because of sin? This morning, some of you are restless because you're not coming to Jesus. Some of you are restless because you might think you've come, but in reality, you haven't come. And some of you have come to Jesus, but you're experiencing restlessness. And and you need to be reminded to to stay in yoke with Jesus, to be thrilled with his love for you and to trust his promises, resting in him. And so my desire is that God's word this morning is going to clarify where you are in relation to Jesus, where you are in relation to Jesus and that God will lead you to assurance in coming to him. So we're going to look at this invitation from Jesus, come to me, and we're going to ask three questions about it. Who is invited to come? What does it mean to come? And to whom are we invited to come and what does he promise? So the first question then, who is invited to come? Who is invited to come? Come to me. All who labour and are heavy laden. Now these are not the usual dinner guests here. They're not the life of the party kind of people. They're hard work, difficult to love. People who have got problems. Difficult. People who require patience. People like you and me. And those who are invited are those who labour. They're worn out under pressure. The pressure of life talked about it a few minutes earlier that that difficulty of life life is is difficult and they carry heavy burdens these people here were would have been burdened as outcasts of society maybe the lame the blind the beggars under social oppression from roman governors suffering from financial pressure from tax collectors and mostly conscious of the fact they can't live up to the law of god And the legalism of the Pharisees, as they burden them, do more, be better, and you'll be all right. That's what dead religion will do for you. So they're burdened, you see, by the guilt of sin. Isn't that the way it is today? Maybe you feel it. Worn down by poor leadership. Government over you. Financial worries. Lack of true gospel teaching and true gospel churches around. Crushed even by personal guilt and sin. Even if you're here today and you don't really know the Bible. The law of God is written on your conscience and you know. You know you sin. You know life's not right as you look around and you see destruction and disease and death. and We'll all die at some point. These burdens, eh? General life, family relationships, failing health, the losses of, of life as you just move through, through life. Your failed efforts to do better even. So many people are worn down and burdened by this restlessness. A struggle to find peace. But mostly we have a burden on our backs and every one of us will be bent forward with this burden. The burden of sin that with all of our efforts we cannot remove. But remember this. Jesus knows that we have burdens that we cannot bear. He knows we have burdens that we cannot bear. 
So if you're laboring with a heavy burden, think of John chapter 4. And, and remember the Samaritan woman and how the fact, even the fact that she was alone at the well, this woman, was a reminder of her social stigma and her promiscuity. And you remember how Jesus took her burden from her and he offers her water so she'll never thirst again. And do you remember what she said? She went away and she told the people of the town, she said, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. You see, Jesus knows everything. He knows all that you ever did. He knows all that you've ever done. He knows all the weight that you carry. And still he says, come to me. Come to me. It's a free invitation. You don't need to pay anything. You don't need to qualify in in any way. Just come as you are. We could say it's a free and a universal invitation. Come all of you. Yet it is specific. You who labour and are heavy laden. You must be conscious of your need to come or else you won't come. So then let's look further at this invitation through a second question. Okay, The second question, what does it mean to accept the invitation and come to Christ? And this is of primary importance, friends. Some people may be awakened, maybe even convicted of sin, but they haven't come to Christ. They haven't come to Christ. How many people do you know in life? Are they, they get conscious, they get, I've mixed in a world uh, where I've seen men do things they should not do and they get a bit convicted that it's wrong but they don't come to Christ they don't come to Christ and sometimes there's a conviction maybe as you hear the word of God preached but then as you walk out the devil gets in and tempts you to be concerned about secondary things even some good things but you don't come to Christ And if you have not come to Christ, you lack everything. Even with all the moral rectitude in the world, even with all your concern for justice and doing good. And some people, they they may think they've come to Christ, but they, they haven't consulted the scriptures to see what that means. And so they're self deceived. And on judgment day, they'll hear the terrifying words of Jesus when he says in Matthew 7, Depart from me. I never knew you. Imagine that. They're frightening words. And these people will say, but look, Jesus, look at all the things we did in your name. We volunteered a greeting at church. We helped make the coffee on a Sunday. We did the gardens out there. We gave money regularly every week, week in and week out. We preached a sermon. And he will say, you did these things for me but you never came to me that's possible you know to go your whole life in a church doing things for Jesus but you never come to Jesus it's a warning the alternative is an eternity without the favourable presence of Christ and staying under God's judgement in hell I'm not saying this to upset you, but, but there is a warning here. And some here today may be in great spiritual danger. And you need the Holy Spirit, even as 
Pastor Chola prayed and the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to self-deception. And for those of us who have come to Christ, this should produce deeper gratitude for what he's done for us in yoking us to his son. And it should keep you coming to Christ and abiding in Christ. It should encourage you in your witness about Christ. Because when people say, what does it mean to come to Christ? You, you can actually tell them what it means. So what does it mean to come to Christ? As we're saying on this second question. Well, I want to say, explain to you, firstly, what it's not. Coming to Christ is not a physical act. It's not a physical act. Mark that down. It doesn't mean coming to church. It doesn't mean being baptised. It doesn't mean responding to an altar call or just praying a sinner's prayer. No one was ever converted by stepping into a building or getting out of a seat or going forward in a service or praying a set prayer. Because if it is a physical act, then I don't need the Father to draw me. What did Jesus say? No one can come to me, is the words, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. John 6, verse 44. And a few verses earlier, even in Matthew 11, Jesus tells us, The Father chooses whom he reveals the kingdom to. And Jesus chooses whom he reveals the Father to. See, if coming to Christ is just a physical act, I don't need the inward operation of the Holy Spirit to move me. I simply need enough courage and enough effort. But you might ask, But if it's a universal offer to come to Christ, but God only chooses some, how is it universal? Well, the invitation is universal because all should come. It's a summons to come. It's a summons from the king. But the base fact is none will come unless God graciously moves them to come. Because man's naturally opposed to Christ. And all of us are apart from Christ. And and God is not obligated to choose anyone to come. So how gracious is it that he chooses some to come? See that grace? So coming to Christ is not a physical act. This is we're looking at what it's not first. Not a physical act. Coming to Christ is, is also not just an intellectual ascent. It's not a physical act. It's not just an intellectual ascent. And this is where thousands of people can be deceived. They hear the gospel, they assent intellectually to certain truths. They are told that they are saved, but they never came to Christ. They are just nominal Christians. Christ and his gospel remain a theological construct, a a principle in the mind, just an idea, but they've never met him personally. They've never met him personally. What does Jesus say? You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me. 
to have life. You can know the Bible and you can assent to its truth, but it can remain only intellectual assent without you coming to Christ. One preacher used a good illustration here about this uh, intellectual assent. He says, like getting on an aeroplane for a flight, you're trusting in a system, not the pilot. Okay, you get, most of us have probably been on aeroplanes. You, you trust that there's a trained pilot in the cockpit. You trust the system of the airline, but you don't know the pilot personally. You've never met the pilot. You don't even see him. You see, true faith, coming to Christ, re- requires personal knowledge of Christ. You don't trust in a system and intellectual assent. You trust in him. A person. Of course you need to know true things about Christ, but the devil intellectually knows these things, but he doesn't come to Christ. So coming to Christ is not physical, it's not merely intellectual, and it's not mystical. It's not this vague belief, a sentimental feeling. It's based on revealed truth in Scripture. So it's impossible to come to Christ if you don't know the Christ of the Bible, who he is, why he came, and what he did to save sinners, and what his promises are. The one to whom you must come is the one revealed in his word. Jesus says, the scriptures bear witness about me. So search the scriptures to find Christ, and then come to him. Not just a vague figment of your own sentimental imagination. So, coming to Christ isn't a physical act, it isn't merely intellectual assent, and it is not a mystical notion. What then does it mean to come to Christ? To come to Christ simply means to believe upon the person of Christ. To believe upon the person of Christ. John 6.35, Jesus' words here, listen carefully. I am the bread of life, Whoever comes to me, there's that phrase, whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Comes to me, believes in me. You see how he interchanges coming and believing. So to come to Christ is simply to believe upon Christ. We come to Christ when we are we're drawn by faith to him as we see him offered in the gospel to us and this happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. But to come to Christ, you've got to recognise your need, your lack, and you've got to see his sufficiency. Remember the Beatitudes. Blessed are. The first four Beatitudes speak of emptiness, you know. Poverty of spirit. Mourning of sin, meekness of spirit, and hungering and thirsting of soul. See, only when you realise you're empty will you come to be filled. It's kind of like people are running around uh, like cars. You're running around on empty, just on fumes, and they don't realise they need to be filled with precious four-star fuel of Christ. All are invited, universal offer, everyone in here, young people here, you're invited, older people here, you're invited, everyone in between, universal, but those who come are those who realise they've been labouring fruitlessly to get right with God 
They're burdened by their guilt of not being right with God. And they know only God can meet their need. They're like children. Jesus' words here. Like children. Children are needy. The little one there, I can see. A little needy little one. Needs mum arms around. Needs mum and dad to, 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 to feed her. We're, we're sin-sick children who know we have a desperate need. We need to come to Christ in repentance and faith. Many are convicted, but they don't come. We need to be convicted and we need to come. Conviction wanes, but coming to Christ lasts. Jesus says, friends, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I'll never cast out. It's a great promise. So coming to Christ means recognising your need to come. It also means to recognise that you need to surrender to Christ as master. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus says here. The yoke was this this heavy wooden bar that went across the neck of an ox or a couple of oxen so that the work could be shared between the two. And often a, a, a weaker ox would be paired with a stronger ox. So the stronger, more experienced one would guide the weaker one in obeying the commands of the master. Remember when I was a young footballer, I was paired in midfield with an older, more experienced player. And we worked together as a pair, but I was leaning on his experience to help guide me through with the team. And Jesus here is speaking of being joined to him, being teamed with him, united to him. And yet under his lordship in order to do the will of God. Many people, some people might remember that years ago we saw in the church, and particularly in America, the lordship controversy. A view that you could have Christ as saviour and later on make him lord. But if you don't have Christ as your saviour and lord, you don't have Christ. Jesus Christ is lord. If he's not your lord, he's not your saviour. See, the invitation is a a dual invitation, did you notice? Come to me, take my yoke. Come to me, take my yoke. You can't come and not be yoked. Only being yoked to Christ as your master, then can you obey God as his child. He takes the strain, he gives the strength. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's only difficult when you chafe against the yoke, you try and go your way. The Christian life involves a yoke that belongs to Christ. Here's where many struggle. They'll take the forgiveness that Christ offers, but they want to carry on in their own way. I'm going to speak tonight about Jesus' own instruction on issues of gender and marriage and sexuality. And we see even in the church today, People will say, I'll take Jesus' forgiveness, but I want to live life my way as a man, a woman, in terms of marriage, sexuality. And, and we've seen that many areas of the church give on this. Unsubmissive people remain restless, you know. 
They think they can work through every problem in life, every difficult providence, without accepting Christ's yoke and resting in him during the difficult times and handing it over to him. Some here may need to surrender so that even in the hard suffering that following Jesus involves, you can have a lightness of spirit because you know it's his yoke and his burden and he bears it for us if we'll just roll it on to him. Roll it on to him. So coming to Christ means recognising your need, surrendering to Christ as Lord, all this in part of believing upon him. And finally, coming to Christ means commitment. It means commitment. Learn from me, Jesus says. Coming to Christ means becoming not simply a student. It's more than that. It's the idea of being an apprentice. It means becoming like him, modelling his way of thinking and pattern of living. Christ teaches us truth about himself. But he's also the one that we embrace and become more like him. He's not satisfied that you just know the Bible a bit better or have a bit more wisdom. He wants you to be more like him so that you remind people of him. And that you point people to him. Is that you? Do, you? do you remind other people of Jesus? Do you have the aroma of Christ about you? Is that the case that with people that we're closest to? We become like them. There have even been studies done that say people begin to look like their dogs the longer they have them. What a thought that is. I don't know what breed of dog you might have here, but get a, get a good looking dog <laughs> if you're going to get one. How frightening is that? Married couples, many years, think each other's thoughts after each other. You know, even finishing sentences. You you know each other so well. And as a married couple or uh, child, children and parents or, or as friends walk together through many trials in life, you grow closer, don't you, together in love for one another. And so it is with Christ. He becomes the soul of your soul. So coming to Jesus means we begin to look like Jesus in this commitment to Jesus. So to summarise then what, what coming is, coming to Jesus is not physical, remember? It's not intellectual. It's not mystical. But it does mean recognising your need and his sufficiency. It means surrender to his lordship. And it means commitment to his way. As you believe upon him. So then finally as we we draw to a close. Let's look at this Christ himself. Who invites us to himself. And let's see what he provides. That's the third and final question. To whom are we invited to come? And what does he provide? Well he says come to me. Come to me. No one else can provide what you need. No one. Not a new set of circumstances. Not a new job. Not a new diet or a new book. I will give you rest. I alone can give you rest, he says. Not a physical rest, but a rest for your souls. How would Jesus have understood rest? He would have understood it as the rest that God gives in creation. Think of creation. Creates the heavens and earth and Everything in it in six days. And what does he do on the seventh? He rests. 
So the seventh day functions as the day of perfect creation, if you like. It has no malfunctions. It's absolutely healthy. It's whole. Everything is perfected. On that seventh day, he rests. And in that perfect world, the man and woman, he creates her to live and work and are commanded to expand Eden by multiplying and having dominion and living the whole working life in rest upon God. Because it's only from a strong position of rest and stability that we can actually create effective force and power for work. But the serpent comes, right? The serpent comes to destroy that harmony. And Adam sins and destroys that rest. And the whole of the biblical narrative is a story of man's restless condition with the promise of one who will bring rest. Even a promise in Genesis 3.15. And Noah's ark promises rest. And Noah's name means rest. And the exodus and And the Mosaic Covenant, the Ten Commandments, include that observance of the Sabbath day. All promise rest. And Jesus Christ comes and says, I am the one. I am the one. All the promises of God are yes in me. And the oldest promise of God from Genesis 3 is met in me. That's how Jesus understood rest. And so how does he then give this rest? Well, he gives this rest by fulfilling and obeying God's law for you and me. Matthew 5, 17. Do not think I've come to abolish the law or prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So we don't have to earn our place with God anymore. God requires perfection and Christ is perfect for us. What a relief from labour that is, friends. What a relief from labour. If God is pleased with you because of Jesus' works, you don't have to go around trying to be something you're not or just pleasing people. As some of you here today might struggle to say no to people because you want them to like you. Or you think God won't like you if you don't try and please them. But Jesus' works justify you, not yours. That's how Jesus gives rest. And Jesus also gives rest by taking that burden of guilt and penalty for your sin upon himself. And and on the cross, God forsakes Jesus so you will not be forsaken. When Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Matthew 27, all the curses promised in the Old Testament against those who disobey God's law poured out on his son. Guilt is gone, justice is served, burden is lifted. You see, because Christ was restless in Gethsemane when his soul was sorrowful to death, even as he he contemplated in his mind the wrath of restlessness he would bear for sinners like you and me on the cross. That's why we can experience rest. Because God forsook Christ on the cross, you and I can rest in the fact that God will never forsake us. What a thing. Never alone again. And as the risen and ascended Christ, now seated at the right hand of God, as he enjoys the rest of heaven, the rest in heaven, even now with that promised return and a final eternal rest for all of his people in a new heaven, a new earth, we can know the rest of that future kingdom break into our present lives today. And then that rest, that knowledge of rest, is a springboard for us to fight sin, 
to persevere in suffering and to feel the great commission. I know that I've experienced deep trials in this past year or two and it's in resting in Christ that I find stability. And then God produces increasing fruit of the Spirit in you. It's interesting, isn't it? Directly after Jesus promises rest in Matthew 11 here, we see Sabbath day controversies in Matthew 12. Read them this afternoon. And what Jesus does is he he takes people laboring and burdened and marred by sin. And on the Sabbath day, he brings them back to rest in God. Gives them rest. Jesus gives soul rest because Jesus is the Sabbath rest for us. So Christ says, I'll give you rest for your souls. Come to me. So how are you going to respond? How are you going to RSVP to this invitation? You can say, in a while, it's not the right time. No, now, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Are you going to say, I'm not worthy? No one's worthy. Not one worthy person ever came to Christ. Are you going to say, it's too late for me. What about the thief on the cross? Are you going to say, I've hardened too much? Or maybe the fact that you're actually asking that question proves you haven't come to him, but you haven't hardened too much. Maybe you'll answer, I've tried to come, I pray and I can't come. Well, stop focusing on coming to Christ and start focusing on Christ. And so I'll leave you with Christ himself, friends. Do you know Christ? See what this passage says. This here is alone, alone in scripture where Jesus reveals his heart. He says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. He's meek, you know. He's not weak. He's got all authority, but he is humble and he is approachable. He is approachable. A bruised reed he will not break when they come. The worst sinner. What have you done? The worst sinner he will not turn away when they come. The deep backslider he loves to restore. You backsliding? Oh, he loves to restore backsliders. Prostitutes, lepers, the educated and uneducated, the rich and the poor. Roman soldiers, tax collectors, murderers like Paul. People like you and me. Such is Christ's meekness that anyone comes to him, he doesn't turn away. And he is the same yesterday, today and forever. Friend, you may never be closer to God than you are right now. So don't wait. Don't presume you've got tomorrow. Close the gap now between you and him. Run to him. Jump into his outstretched arms and he will for certain catch you. Look at what a loving Christ he is. I am gentle and lowly in heart. It happened for me, you know. Down the road. I was 18 years old in Barnhurst. Just down the road where I grew up. I'd heard of Christ, but I had never heard his voice and I'd never met him personally and I'd never come to him. And then one Sunday night in Barnhurst at the minister's house, I heard Jesus say, come to me. Come to me. And he opened up my heart. He opened up my heart. Self-sufficient, restless young man. And he helped this young man to realise his desperate need. And the good news that Christ alone can meet it. And he spoke to me by his spirit. 
and when I went to him, or how he received me, he saw me coming, opened his arms to me. I saw the scars, scars on his hands, my name written in them. Met, met me with tears. Makes me emotional as I think about it. Met me with tears, wept upon my neck, took off my rags, robed me with his royal robes of righteousness, kissed me, called me by name, called me his friend, brother, his sheep, his beloved, gave me his yoke, became my teacher. And I was free. Free. So, friends, Jesus is better than good, better than any words a man, preacher, could use to describe him. And if you have come to him, you'll never regret it. You know, some of you have walked with Jesus, yoked him for many years. You may be tempted to go back, but you'll find that you're embraced by a love that will not let you go. You will find trials at times that are overwhelming, but in the storm on the sea, you'll be able to go to the bottom of the boat where Jesus is sleeping and rest your head on his lap. And when this life is over, he will carry you home and you will see his face. So Jesus invites you now, come to me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Father, indeed we have seen Christ this morning. We've met Christ today. Oh, I pray that we would come to Christ. Every person in this room, do it, I pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.